You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's episode, we have Michael Cole, who recently joined Stanley Black & Deckard as the Senior Vice President of their new Digital Innovation Office. He is leading the effort to transform a 175-year-old industrial company into a data and digital company. On this week's episode, we talk about the construction industry. Is it prime for disruption? What will the future look like for the construction tech sector? How is construction tech and real estate tech different or the same? What are some of the areas of the construction that can be semi-automated or automated? And what about the advances in the materials used for construction? This is an amazing episode, so enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Michael, thank you for taking the time today to be with us on Silicon Valley. Hey, Sean. Thanks a lot for having me here. I'm I'm looking forward to the discussion. Now, Michael, you've had this amazing career, but please tell our audience what has led you up to your current role. Sure. After I got my undergraduate degree, I started out in the commercial construction industry. I decided that was not an industry I wanted to spend my career in, so I went back and got my MBA and focused on tech. So I spent the last 20 years in the technology industry. It's been pretty phenomenal in that it's moved me all over the world. I've spent most of that time in tech focused on finance and business development. Some of the highlights I think are worth pointing out are in China, trying to help Intel get a foothold in the mobile silicon market. So it was a really interesting time where China was experiencing really large growth. It had just become the largest market in the world for Intel in the PC space. But Intel wanted to break into the mobile space because at that time, smartphones were really starting to explode. Really interesting learnings that I got there. I parlayed that into a career with Apple. Also started out there in China uh, and, and, and came back to the US with them. That really gave me a lot of experience at the forefront of uh, not only really large-scale technology companies are trying to grow markets, but also the direct consumer side with Apple about what, what people really get from how to really delight consumers and bring products to market that will impact people's lives. In my current role in the last year, I joined Stanley Black & Decker. I'm leading up their innovation efforts for the company. We've opened a new office in Silicon Valley. Our job here is to really help a company that's 176 years old with a long industrial background to transform themselves to be a digital first company. We've got a few focus areas here that we're spending our time on. The primary starting point for us is the construction technology market. I think my background with starting out in construction and then working in technology lend themselves pretty well to have a unique perspective as to where Stanley Black & Decker needs to go. Can you tell us what is construction tech? Construction tech, definitionally, it is a broad category. But the best way to think about it is everything from the initial concept of a construction project all the way through to the completed construction and managing the building itself can be considered the area that construction tech is focused on. The construction industry has not experienced many productivity gains at all over the last 50 to 100 years. Recently, it's really heated up as far as an area of interest for the venture capital community 
and many technology companies have started springing up to address the lack of productivity in construction technology. When you think about where the areas of focus could come from, there are companies that have specifically focused on the front end from that initial concept and design on the architectural and engineering phase. There's been a lot of activity there that started 15 or 20 years ago with BIM models. When you take all that through to the actual construction phase, to the back end of the facilities management, that's where you're seeing a lot more investment going today. Still not a lot of adoption of technology in that space, but that is specifically where we're focused today. Has the industry really changed over the last 20, 30, 50 years? Or is it still the same processes, the same has been there since the 70s? I think there is a couple of challenges that we face today. It is an industry that has been resistant to change. And there has been a, a, a lot of different reasons for that. Part of it could be the demographic of the workforce there. Another one is it's an industry that's been around since the beginning of time as far as building things. Traditionally, everything was done where a concept was in someone's head, they got it down on paper, and then they would take that paper design and they would construct it by hand. Even now, with a lot of the innovation that is happening, things are still primarily constructed manually on a job site. So what we see is that there has been some innovation on the upfront design phase. People are moving from paper to completely digital documents. However, where we see change still not quite happening yet is taking that digital design and implementing that in the field from anything but a manual method. Talking about challenges, there are a bunch of them. So we'll start with the fact that on a job site, you don't necessarily have an infrastructure in place. You don't necessarily have a solid Wi-Fi network. You don't necessarily have an office environment where people can take all of these digital documents and bring them to life in the field. Only recently, we've started to see companies start to adopt iPads or carrying tablets as a method of communication and document retrieval. The other thing that we see is just the construction industry in general is typically a lower margin business. And there have not been IT budgets set aside or even just the capability within companies to, to be focused on technology solutions. That's some of the several reasons we see that adoption has not yet achieved the scale that it could. But there are a lot of factors today that we think are driving an inflection point in that adoption starting to happen. So then is the construction industry ready for disruption then here in the US or global? Our focus today is the North American market. If you do a heat map of where all of the activity is in the startup space around the construction tech industry, it is really here. This is the nexus of activity. That's not surprising. We've seen European companies and North American companies that have long ago invested the BIM models and the digitization of the documents. And we're starting to see cities and governments also require adoption of more digital tools. However, the real activity and volume in the construction industry is happening all over the world. We, we know it's in the emerging markets, massive infrastructure projects going on. China continues to be the largest construction market in the world. Our point of view is that those markets are not as far along on the adoption curve, but what we see is a, a nascent market that has huge potential because we're so early on. You'd mentioned BIN model. A BIM model the acronym stands for Building Information Management. So what a BIM model is, is, it takes, if you think about a traditional blueprint, you take a 2D rendering of a project and what you do is you turn it into a three-dimensional model. 
So it's essentially the digital representation of those blueprints. It's created a shift where you would ask the question about 20, 50 years ago, what have the changes been? There used to be a lot more generalists in the field of construction. So you would have the person that would first conceive the design would also be the one that would draw up the blueprints and would also be the one that has would often directly play a role in the construction phase. That same person would understand how to take the concept and understood the challenges of taking a design and building it in the field. What you have seen with the advent of more digital tools, you've had much more specialization. There are architects that focus purely on the aesthetics and the design. And then separately, you have the people in the field that actually have to put it all together, where there are a completely different set of challenges. That specialization, what it's actually caused is communication issues. You see that there is not always a clean handoff between that architectural rendering, the design, and then the building. That does create opportunity. The BIM model, back to your original question, really has been focused on those first two phases. It's taking this design and putting it in a nice 3D model so that you can simulate different types of materials, different types of designs that may really appeal to an owner or architect from a branding or a curb appeal. What we really believe has not yet been addressed is what's next. I take that beautiful 3D design. Now I need to go and build it in the field. What parts of it can be automated or semi-automated? I think there's a wide range of opinions on what can be automated. But what we're starting to see is that the BIM model could allow for much better cost outcomes. And so what I mean there is, right now, BIM models have allowed architects or owners to become infinitely creative. It allows for you to understand how can I get the kind of aesthetic appeal that it's really going to make this particular property stand out. What that also does is it really is an enabled complexity. When you have the ability to not just draw 2D, but to put a 3D model together is you can add many unique characteristics that will make a beautiful design, but it does increase your time to build and your cost to build. What we are starting to see a need for is we understand there are challenges in the industry today. We have massive labor shortages. You know, there are very many widely published studies. There's probably the most famous that is published by McKinsey around the fact that the majority of large-scale construction projects are behind schedule and over the cost estimates. That challenge has continued to grow with more complexity in design. So what we're starting to see is a shift towards the other side, where companies are starting to say, why does construction need to be so unique and so handmade to the extent that there's no benefit of scale? People are starting to look at it as scale. Much like in an automated or factory environment, I can take the concept of mass production. Should we not be looking at construction the same way? Can we not create designs that are very easily replicable and very easy to construct? Essentially, if you think about it from an assembly perspective, is the more I can make all of my parts look unique and eliminate endless variation, I can save money. And so there is the focus that we're starting to see emerge now is companies trying to take the construction process down to its simplest form and find ways to construct in many different environments with the ability to put some exterior type of a customization to it. But essentially, the skeleton, the bones of the project look exactly the same. 
So that is really where we think the, the opportunity lies. The last time I was in China, the buildings look very similar. Is that kind of what you're talking about? The one idea building? The one difference I'd call out is the basis of your question is I would agree with is that there is a concept of the building everything very similar. However, I think the reason we've not seen the wide scale adoption of just pure replication is when buildings are first conceived, think about who they're designed by. They're designed by these owners and architects who want their next project to have some amount of customization. They want it to look unique. And so the barrier has been no one wants their project looks common. Point is everyone wants it to make it look and feel like this apartment complex has some appeal and it doesn't look like a long row of apartments. The real differentiator there is that the inside, your your standard structural elements, your standard layouts of your rooms, your your electrical, your plumbing, all of that can be standardized. However, there is the ability to infinitely customize the exterior, the aesthetics. And that is really the difference that we're starting to see focus on now is we use a common type of material, common layouts and exterior customization. We're starting to see a lot of activity in that area that allows people to still feel like there's a uniqueness to this property, but it doesn't have to cost as much. What type of advances have there been in materials used for construction? I think that's a great question, Sean. There have been many advances here. So one of the problems that faces the industry is the mass amount of waste that goes on. There are companies focused on the environmental benefits of new types of materials and construction. Let me just go through a couple of new technologies here that are really making a difference. One of them is just the ability to focus on sustainability and construction. There has been a focus for a while on a completed building and how do I have a building that is efficient from a daily maintenance and operational perspective. And those are the obvious things around how do we minimize electricity usage? How do I make sure that the building is run as efficiently as it can be? Because I think as many people are aware is the building cost is one, but then the lifetime operation and maintenance is many times more expensive than the original construction. There's more focus now on the construction phase itself. It's not just how it's constructed, but it's what it's made out of. So in the material space, what we see is the concrete, timber, many of these materials can be environmentally unfriendly. So some of the technologies that are helping there, there is something called cross-laminated timber. The ability to take sustainable types of timber, fast growth, high strength timber that's sustainably harvested, where a process of cross-lamination where the timber is essentially under high pressure with resins and adhesives, you can throw massive amounts of timber in what it does is it cuts it up and it laminates it together into very high strength materials that there are many companies focused on shifting from specifically steel concrete block to CLT is the abbreviation for this cross-laminated timber construction. So that is one. Another one is if you think about what's happening within 3D printing, there are very early adopters that are pushing for doing printing on a job site. To the extent that I'm able to print concrete structures, I can eliminate some waste. I can print only exactly what I need. And you're going to see that continue to evolve in many other materials. Lastly, I guess I'll bring up prefabrication. So going back to the concept of the mass production concept is 
building a project in the field requires essentially each and every project, even if it's drawn up exactly the same, it's still handmade in the field. What we're seeing is there's so much variability on a job site, whether it's the temperature, the rain, the conditions on the job site itself, even the ability to get materials or heavy equipment in and out of a site that could be in a busy urban area. Um, There is a much more focus now on prefabrication where a lot of the construction is done offsite in a factory-like environment. And then those segments or those the industry term is spools. I, I build spools and I bring them to the job site and I do it a final assembly. And you're in an environment where you are not subjected to all of the variables you are on a job site. You can create much more predictability and replication. So you are seeing companies focused on scale. So I am working on mechanical systems for multiple large-scale construction projects in a factory. You can be much more efficient that way instead of bringing all of your raw materials to each and every job site and building them there. That is a huge opportunity. Prefab has been a promise for 20 or to 30 or more years. Only recently, we started to see people really focused effectively on all of the other supply chain material procurement type elements that can really enable it. You mentioned 3D printing on the job site. Are there certain materials only that they can create things out of, such as just cement, or how much variety of things that can be produced size-wise, material-wise, are 3D printers capable of doing? There are a couple examples that have gotten a lot of press where there have been 3D printed houses. Certainly that can be done. The scale and the ability to build the real amount of housing that's necessary is not quite there. But there's been a lot of really interesting solutions in a one-off basis. Regarding the types of materials that can be printed, right now, uh, the ability to print concrete exists. The ability to print plastics, polymers, those exist today. And on a plastic side, at a cost and scale and time that rivals traditional methods of printing, hoping to see more breakthroughs in the coming years is in metals and some of these other traditional construction materials. So there has been a huge amount of venture capital investment in these areas. The ability to print exactly what you want with no waste, with the exact characteristics you want, you know, strength to weight ratios, the geometries, those things are emerging today. They're still not at a cost parity. And on a scale of construction, we think that's going to take a while to get there, but it does enable people to start thinking differently about the construction process. And so we would expect that over the course of the next one or two decades, you will see large-scale 3D printers on a job site that have the ability to print multi-materials. And a lot of it, instead of having to worry about ordering and delivery of materials, that some will be printed on demand on site to the exact size specification. How much money can a job site save if there's no more waste of materials? There are a couple of things that really drive the profitability of a contractor. They're most simply boiled down to it's your labor, it's your materials, and it's the assets that you own to process. So the biggest challenges we think today are the labor materials. Those two are going to really enable a lot more productivity for contractors. The material space, the estimates go anywhere from 10% on the low end to 30% or more on the high end by eliminating that waste. 
you know, that'll happen in pieces. It won't come all at once. Right now, it's fairly capital intensive. People are investing in some of their own printers, but we foresee that what will start to happen is some of the same people that are supplying materials today will eventually start printing those materials. And it may be the same suppliers, but what you do is you're able to make a product that is the exact size and specification. And it's really just a assemble in place. So materials is one way to save on costs. And the other was labor. What type of technology is being developed to save on labor? And what does that look like? Labor shortage is a problem that has been around. So since the, you know, the economic crash of, of 2008, the labor industry has suffered from massive shortages. So what happened there when the construction industry took a huge dive was large numbers of construction labor force, they left the labor force. They went and found other jobs. And as the economy has turned around, they never came back. And this is everything from the skilled tradesman to your generic tradesman. They never came back. And that has, you know, for, if you look at any of the statistics, that has led to construction companies struggling to find not only enough, but qualified labor. So the solutions we're starting to see pop up around this space are many. There are companies focused on whether or not my labor is focused on the right area. Is it productive? Are they standing up? Are they sitting down? Are they in the right area of the job site? There's been a lot of breakthroughs recently about the ability to track productivity. There are some unique challenges that come with construction site. We have indoor and outdoor environments. One of them is just understanding the, the productivity angle. Who is kind of hindering the process? We'd mentioned labor. Are there a lot of labor unions against adoption of new technology, or is it more? governments and permits, or what's stopping some of this technology? We talk about the labor unions. What we've seen is probably what most people would not expect is that the labor unions are, are very much supportive of the adoption of construction technology. There's really two pieces as to why they are. Uh, one of them is, is they want to continue to be relevant in the industry. And I think that they understand that in order to have the type of labor that they want to be supporting, the labor has to be savvy as these trends are changing. They don't want to be subject to the discussion around robotics that we just had is they'd like to be sure that their labor is either working alongside of the robotic solutions or even maybe being a technician to on the maintenance end of that. But I, I think that the trends are clear. And that's driving them to be supportive. As the unions look to stay relevant, they understand that a new, newer, younger demographic wants to have training and has already, as a part of their life, adopted technology. And what that means is they're often, I mean, everyone has a phone. They, they're all on social media. They're eager for these new types of technologies. And so as a part of they continuing to bring new members in, they've really gotten behind the adoption of technology solutions. Just a few years ago, some unions prohibited bringing your smartphone to a job site. In the last couple of years, we've actually seen now that it's a complete shift to where it's a requirement. Before giving some examples of startups that you're working with, I had a quick question. Is there a difference between real estate tech and construction tech? You know, I think those terms can often be used interchangeably. I'll give you my take on how we view that. Real estate tech broadly can cover a lot of focuses. It could just be when you think about 
Redfin or Zillow relative to it's the transactional market. It's where connecting supply with demand for real estate itself. There's a lot of activity there in the valuation and appraisal and transactional processes. We've seen online exchanges come up in the commercial real estate space where people are just ultimately looking to try to really drive more efficiency into the transactional side of real estate. As you know, for you know, most of history, it has been very much a relationship-based industry where there is an asymmetry of information between that supply and demand. It's one of those industries that technology has not necessarily changed the transactional costs. So that's a one big part of real estate tech. Another one is just the building management side. So if I am a landlord, and what we see is in many countries like Japan, for example, your architect, your engineer, your contractor, and ultimately your landlord could all be the same company. So they are much more vertically integrated. They have much more of a view as to what is my original construction cost all the way through my annual upkeep and operational costs. So a lot of real estate tech is going into those operational aspects. I'd like to know how is my electricity usage in the building? What is my heating, ventilation, air conditioning load looking like? Do I know when to have preventive maintenance? Ultimately, do I have a fully connected building for, for my tenants? Do I want to allow them to have keyless entry? Do I want them to have certain security aspects? Can you talk about some of the startups that you looked at and kind of the technology that they're working on? We have a, a ventures team at Stanley Black & Decker that uh, we have a pretty active ventures portfolio and we have looked at a lot of companies in this space. So when we did our environmental scan, we came up with over 3,000 companies today that are startups that proclaim themselves to be in the construction technology space. So it's pretty incredible the amount of activity there. Just some other statistics that I think are worth pointing out is that 2018 saw about a 8 to 10x or 8 to 10 time increase of venture capital investment in construction tech startups over the prior year. There are a few unicorns in this space that have really driven a lot of the dollar investment. But if you also just look at the long tail of breadth, there's just been a lot more activity in general. We look at it more from a vertical perspective. What are the things we're interested in? We think where the efficiency and productivity gains really need to come from are in these areas of asset management, of labor productivity. And in the supply chain, whether it's touching materials or the communication between the, the back office and the field. So we see a bunch of interesting startups that are focused in each one of these vertical areas. A big name I'll just start with is, right, Katera is trying to completely vertically integrate all these things. They're not trying to take the current processes that exist today and make them more efficient. They're trying to change all the processes. I think there's a lot of people that believe to really drive change that's probably the best way to start, to get over those barriers to adoption by coming up with a completely new way of building. Really, what they're just trying to do is they're trying to take the concept of mass production to building. And as they have built that business, what they've realized is there's so much more that needs to change. It's not just trying to put everything in a factory setting and build efficiently and cost-effectively, but it's also, hey, the way we procure materials today needs to change. The types of materials that we're building with need to change. The design phase needs to change. And so they're owning a complete, right now, they're, they're, they're completely trying to own all of those processes. As far as what we're focused on there is we're not going to try to take the Katera approach. 
I'll just touch on a few of the startups that we've been having discussions with that we think are really interesting. In the asset management space, what we're seeing is that companies have to own a lot of assets in order to do the construction. Their ability to understand whether they're effectively utilizing them, whether they are getting the productivity out of them is very low right now. Most people keep track of everything at best on a spreadsheet. They may have multiple projects in many different locations. They don't necessarily know what equipment is where, whether I have the right equipment at the right place based on the phase of construction. I don't necessarily even, I'm not even able to tell you, has it been idle the last few days? Has it been on and off? So there's companies focused just on the physical proximity, but there's much more interesting data being created now around, am I getting the output I expect? They can track the sound and the noise and the vibration and they're understanding whether there's maintenance needed. Is it actually working the way it was intended to? So that's on the asset management space. We, we like a, a company there called BuildStream that we are planning to do some work with. There's a, many other interesting companies working in the uh, tracking of what's actually happening on a site. One of the problems that we have touched on today that we continue to see an area of opportunity is there is a concept in a design. If I go back to the BIM models, the blueprints, there's a design intent. However, when something is built in the field, we understand that there's often things happen. And the way it's built is never exactly as, as how it was drawn up. And so there's this need to compare your as-built to your drawings. And up until now, it's always been a very manual process and saying, hey, this actually, the way it was drawn out, the load bearing was not correct. So we had to change either the material or, or the amount of a material that we used. That is something that there, there's not a living diary of what's actually been done. There's companies like construction site that has come up with a, a really good reality capture technology where every single day they can go and take a video history of what's happened and compare that to what was supposed to have happened. And they can point out differences. They can, they're trying to start tying that to schedule. This can also help with things like construction progress tracking and billing. There's Many companies focus in this space. Uh, it really comes down to who can do it most efficiently. Two types of technologies that weren't mentioned, but I've heard a lot for construction. One is drones, and the other is AR, VR. Are those areas that seen some advances in, or is that something that has come and gone already? Yeah, I think we have not touched upon that, but those are both very relevant. Drones, I'd put in the category of the ability to monitor what is happening on a job site is of crucial importance. Whether you, are, you want to monitor it from a tracking the efficiency of my labor and my assets, or whether it's I just want to understand my construction progress over a period of time. And there's even elements that we haven't touched upon around safety. There are companies focused specifically on monitoring a site, trying to predict safety events and prevent them from happening. And then that's a whole other area we could talk about. But the advent of drones and the ability to have remote oversight and management, I think, will have a place in the industry. And there is a lot of interesting approaches regarding facial recognition and not so much about identifying who a specific individual is, but understanding more about, I understand what I'm tracking. I understand that this is a group of people working in a specific trade, or this is an asset and it is where it needs to be. The aspect of capturing the video or the reality of what's happening, the real 
work to be done there is the AI or the artificial intelligence behind understanding what you're seeing. And I think AI has gotten so much press lately. I don't think it's been as focused on the construction industry. You know, as many of you probably know, the real benefit of AI comes from all of the data set that you're feeding into it. So we're starting to see companies that are really started to focus specifically in this area, in this industry, and saying, we need to be creating those huge data sets so that the AI is able to start with that baseline so that it is able to start tracking and deriving insights as to what's happening. So that's really what I think will uh, allow drones to become, it's already a low cost method of tracking what's happening. We need to turn that into insights. Relative to your other question around AR, whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality, we really think that augmented reality is where the benefits lie. Virtual reality up until now is limited by the application today and the hardware by which you are experiencing VR will be a barrier for most construction companies. They are not going to want to spend too much on the current set of hardware, whether it's over-the-head type VR goggles. They're only going to buy a limited number, which means the application in the field is going to be limited, easily displaced or broken, and people are not going to want to... uh, We don't see an appetite right now for people to spend too much of their budget in those areas. However, augmented reality, the ability to take a a real-time environment and overlay imaging, we see a broad number of potential applications right now. You know, a very good example of, of where we see that playing out is if I'm a, a tradesman, if I'm an electrician in the field, and I am looking at the work I need to do for the day, with a relatively low cost way, I can either through a visor type of a hardware, or even just through an iPad, I, I, where I can just simply point it at the area of my work, and it will connect with the building information modeling tool, the BIM model. It will show me. Here is what the 3D blueprint says the scope of work needs to be done. It overlays it on top of the actual environment that you're in, so you can actually see, here's what I need to do. That is something that we do see some really interesting applications of. It will impact the industry. There are a few things holding back today. Again, it's just people's willingness to spend money on the solution. And the other one is there's a, there still tends to be a a connectivity problem. So on some of the job sites today, depending on the environment, they're not typically going to have a, a Wi-Fi infrastructure. There's often cellular service. Yeah, with the advent of 5G, what that'll do is really enable some of these technologies where you don't want any latency. What, what someone wants to be able to do is hold up their phone or their tablet in a construction site and see an overlay of the blueprint. And as they turn left or right or move around, that, that is their camera that is enabling the overlay of that blueprint on, t- on top of the real-time environment, there's no delay as they move around. In a setting where you've got strong connectivity, the capability exists today. It just doesn't always work in the field. I was in China a few weeks ago, t- had several companies pitch their technology to us. There was at least one or two there today that had come up with some really interesting ways to overcome that barrier. Some pretty cool application. Nothing yet that I've seen at scale, but I think that's absolutely going to be impactful over the next five years. So what country is at the forefront of construction technology? I'd have to say right now, it's definitely 
the U.S. If we talk about what has been the face of construction technology up until now, it has really been on the architectural and engineering side. It, it's really been around the adoption of BIM models. European, North American companies, as well as some Asian countries, there's pretty broad scale adoption. If you look at big scale contractors worldwide, there's very good adoption of BIM models. So from a design phase, construction tech has, has already pretty well been adopted in the industry. When you go to anything beyond that modeling side, when, when you get to application in the field, new ways of constructing, new ways of actually even collaborating and communicating, which is something I haven't touched on yet, which is really just that communication between the people that spend their time in the office and the people that spend their time in the field. All of the solutions we see there right now, there's that activity is really happening here in the US. You know, some of the largest scale contractors have IT departments, they have budgets. They're experimenting with a lot of these solutions. They're willing to take some bets. We don't see that as much happening elsewhere. There are plenty of startups, I think, in other areas that have, are trying to bring solutions to the market. We just haven't seen that adoption. As a matter of fact, we're working with some companies today that are outside of the US that have some really unique solutions, but they're really looking at the US market as where they, they really need to test their technology because that's where they see a lot more openness to go and try out their solutions. And is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about construction tech that we might have missed? Other areas that we have not spent time talking about, like safety. Safety is something that has seen a huge improvement over the last 50 years. There have been regulatory issues that have driven that. And we see that's a space that often ends up being driven by the need for compliance rather than the need for driving more efficiency or lower cost. Because that typically comes at a cost if you're purely talking dollars and not a human capital perspective. But we see plenty of activity in that space where people are focused on really interesting safety solutions. We touched a little bit on robotics that I think all of these technologies are, are a matter of time scale. So I think some of these things are more of you know, your five to 10 year versus your 10 to 20 year horizon. The real game changer aspect is when someone is able to start tying all of those solutions together. The real long-term solution for the industry is all of this data that needs to be collected in construction is starting to be collected, turned into meaningful insights. So when I talked about the AI capability enabling drones, that's really going to be the next application in the construction tech space is I can start to track my labor. I can start to track my assets. I can understand the safety trends on my site. But now can I start to be predictive? Can I start to re-sequence my project? Can I start to change how I order materials? Because all those pieces, now I have the data to tie them all together. That's going to be the game changer. And I don't know that there's many companies that have developed that capability yet, but all of these unique point solutions we've talked about will eventually lead to the ability that when any one of those pieces changes, how it affects every other one of those. And that's really what's going to drive productivity. Michael, thank you for taking the time today to be on Silicon Valley. And I also want to thank Sonia at Band of Angels, who made the introduction that allowed today's episode possible. Information on her and Band of Angels will be in the show notes. But Michael, if anyone wants to find out more information about you and what you're working on, how is the best way to go about doing it? 
Yeah, I think the best way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. I'm a daily user, and I think that's been my best way to connect with people all over. Great. We'll have Michael's LinkedIn link in our show notes, so visit our website. And once again, Michael, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is licensed by the Investors Podcast Network. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.